So this is a movie that you guys will like. I thought it was okay. Oh, baby, that was good. I am stupid. <laughs> I like to cook slop. Do you want to top that slop? Thought we were going to have fun here. Yes, queen. Down with guilty pleasures, up with pleasure pleasures. Did we talk you into... Thank you for listening to Talk Me Into, the podcast where a group of friends try to talk each other, and maybe even you, into liking what we like. This week, it's Star Trek Enterprise, featuring special guest John Billingsley. My name is Dan, and I once took a class on cooking pork chops, and I cook a very good pork chop. My name is Jeff, and I'm the only good driver. My name is Jimmy, and I finally finished Avatar The Last Airbender. Yeah. It only took 14 years, guys. <laughs> you did it. Yeah. You did it. Dan, is that the class I took with you, too? Yep. Yeah. Nice. We went to a class. I don't. We went to a few classes. Yeah, it was. Uh, a I don't remember which butchery one this was. series. This was nose to tail cooking of a pig. But a lot of it had mm. to do with cooking a pork chop, and that seems like a waste of time. But no, it, it makes a big difference. That's how I cook pork chops now. Mm. That's how I cook a lot of meat. That's how I also yeah. cook like steaks. And how stuff. do you cook them? We need an overview. All right, you have to take the class. Yeah, <laughs> give me one hundred and twenty dollars. No, yeah. I mean this is how like restaurants cook slices of meat like this, and yeah. basically. You take a pan, get it real hot, real hot with the oil. You here's a tip that nobody talks about that tr helps tremendously. You take your meat, dry it first, yeah. pat it dry yeah. mm -hmm. because anything wet is not going to get a good sear. Right. So you pat it dry. You season it with just salt because pepper is an organic thing that can burn. You add your pepper later. Yeah. You sear it on one side, get a nice crust. You flip it, sear it on the other side. Then you take that whole pan, which is why like cast iron is good. Mm -hmm. You put it, put in, it the in the oven, which yep. has been preheated to like 350, right. 375. You let the meat come up to temp in the middle because now you've cooked the outsides, but you just want to bring it up to temperature like right. evenly. Inside. When it's almost done, when you're almost happy with it, you pull it out. You throw in a big glop of butter, like half a stick of butter, mm. a smash clove of garlic, some herbs, and you butter baste it the rest mm -hmm. of the way. You're missing one step what? with pork chops, which is different than with steaks. I don't remember. You start out with your, your tongy tongs and you hold the fat on the pan. Oh, yeah. You sear you the some fat pork first. Fat. Uh, you get some fat and you sear it in so it doesn't just like melt away. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's a good Seared point. I've actually pork. done that with steaks as well, like a New York strip that has if, a pretty if big it has, cap. If it has the fat on it, then yeah, like on the end, then yeah, yeah you can really do that. Good. Plus, it gets nice and crispy. Mm. Yeah, that's I how I cook steaks, too. I haven't had a pork chop in years. Oof. Mm. You know what I also like to do with pork chops? I like to get the thin, shitty ones mm. like that are just real yep. cheap and just like flatten them out. And then, Pound them, yeah. yeah, like mm. like uh, I, I marinate them in like uh, red wine vinegar or like mirin, just make like a Korean fried pork chop, like a katsu. Yeah. Oh my god. Mm. Oh yeah. So good. Like smashing in some with bread panko. Crumbs. Yeah. Yeah. That panko. Good. You don't use bread crumbs. Got to get that. Crisp. I call panko breadcrumbs because why would anyone else use not panko? panko. Well, there's times when you don't need panko. Like no. you use breadcrumbs for other things. No, I don't. You only use panko for yeah. all of your breading needs. Yeah, that's all I buy. Okay. You're so next much, level. You're so cool, Dan. I'm pretty <laughs> cool. I don't get seasoned breadcrumbs because I season it myself. Yeah. Just buy panko. Okay. <laughs>
This is the part of the show where we're talking ourselves into things. We're not talking you into things or talking me into things. Well, I'm talking me into things. You are? You're not talking me into. No. I'm talking myself into. Right. We're talking ourselves into <laughs> yes. things. Uh, and this week, I just started. I haven't fully done it yet because of the weather. Talking myself into washing my own car. What about washing your own car? I'm going to stab him in the fucking <laughs> neck. I swear. I want somebody outside of our friendship and lives to weigh in on this. There's no weighing in. It's just regional dialects. Yeah, I know. But we're way. both right and we're both wrong. We're from the same region. I know. It's weird. You, you say it like you're from Minnesota. No. Yeah. You oh, say towel. Tal. Tal from Star Trek Discovery. You know what he does. Yeah. I say towel. 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 Cow. Every time he says it, the W goes away more and more. <laughs> That's not even a thing. That's he goes, I say towel. 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 But yeah, um, I recently paid for a car wash and it was like $18. And I was like, this is stupid. My car sucks. Like, yeah. you know, and like last winter or something, I forgot what it was. Something like dried on the roof of my car. I have a white car and it's like just stained black. And I went to a car wash a couple times and it's just like still there. And I was like, I know this isn't permanently part of my car. <laughs> like these car washes just aren't good. And you're paying like more money for them. You so, get to the end of the car wash tube and the guy hands you a piece of paper that says this stain is now part of your car. <laughs> but I was Yay. like, oh, man, like this now now i'm in a house that like i have a, a spigot for a hose and i'm like I, I i have a hose let me just wash my own car <laughs> the other day it was like 75 degrees and i was like oh but actually what triggered this the day before it was 75 degrees was i was at work and i parked my car and i got out and i came out for lunch and it looked like every bird in this hemisphere poopied on it yeah nice. my car has a lot of poop on it right doesn't now. happen any other car in the parking lot was completely clean i was like what what happened was there a flying v that was just like all right boys get I ready i think there's actually been studies that say that birds are attracted to pooping on white cars there i mean there's a lot of cars in my work parking lot yeah and just funny. mine in this one spot i was like this is absolutely ridiculous and it's not canada goose poo because there's a lot of canada geese right um and it was just like i don't know there must have just been like a bird with a bad day completely covered and i was like i'm not paying 18 dollars. then the next day it was 75 degrees i was like i'm going to the store i'm getting everything i need to wash my car and i'm gonna do it because i done it well i used i used to wash like my dad's cars and his work truck so i know how to do it it's very easy i got this the soap the well, the towels everyone can wash the, the car it's the about sponges. actually doing it Have well you not done everybody there's people who don't know how to wash their own car i'm sure I'm sure there are. Have you ever washed your own car? Yeah. Have you, Jimmy? Yes. Yeah. Okay, but not everybody. I'm sure people haven't lived with access to hoses. <laughs> but said that they don't know how to. But if maybe you're like, I was trained out. by my father. Anyway, <laughs> it was 75 degrees. I'm a car washer like yeah. my father I got all me. the stuff after work. I got home. I stood out of my car and it started to piss poor rain. I was like, this came out of nowhere. Nature's wash. This was thrown some soap on it. <laughs> this is only like two days ago. And I, I wrote the fun fact. I was like, I'm going to get this stuff. I'm going to do this. Uh, and I haven't yet. But like, I have all the stuff for it. Just wait. Even today, it's like chilly out. Jeff, side tangent. Yeah. My band has been my band. discussing uh, some work with some small uh, labels and, and like marketing companies okay and 
a couple have asked us if we've filmed any like music video stuff to go on YouTube. Well, I, this is a very long set oh, for what's going no, to be no, no. a real bad joke. It's not a joke. It's an actual pitch. Are you asking me? If I bought you a pair of jorts, cut off jean this shorts. This is a joke. See, Jimmy? It's just No, I would funny. totally do this. Could we film you washing your car in nothing but jorts I, and use what about that washing? for a music video? No. Why not? Why, was this an so idea you had about... While you were talking. It's not even a funny idea. This is something that like Blink-182 would have done idea. 23 years ago. I think it's it played would out. still be done It's not now. funny. I don't think it's funny. Jimmy's into it. Yeah. Can you do it, Jim? I'm not doing it. Do it. Get them shorts on. <laughs> I'm grosser. Which is Let's funny. Do it. I, I don't know. That's debatable. That's that's it. That's what I'm talking myself into. Dan, what are you talking yourself into? Oh, this is a very soft talking myself into because there's a very good chance I'll never do it. Okay. But I wanted to bring it up because I need Jimmy's advice and expertise. Not Ooh. mine, though. Fuck me, right? You might have Sorry. some, but specifically, I'm possibly talking myself into eventually buying a ps5 oh okay, okay. so i'm gonna sit this one out boys here's the thing <laughs> jeff's still back on ps3 yeah i have a ps4 i recently beat jedi fallen order yes and i'm starting to get into uh spider-man miles morales yes i played like the first couple levels yes and i recently got nba 2k 22 for my birthday okay so i'm a full-blown video game guy at this point <laughs> right I, I play for about one hour a week yes. it's great uh no i'm not a full-blown video game guy <laughs> but i'm starting to think jedi fallen order 2 is coming out is it oh yeah I it's gonna be announced that. at star wars celebration oh, like, okay they're in the process of making it um do I want to invest in purchasing future games for a platform that is already outdated or mm. do I want to take the PS5 leap? So here's my question. Yes. I would say based on just my own hunch that I'm at the midpoint of popularity for the PS5. Am I too late to commit to the PS5? Should I wait for a future console? Is there a PS6 coming? Oh, God, no. It's only... It's been like two years year. in. Yeah. You're not midpoint. You got like another six years before they announce a PS6. Yeah. PS4, on the other hand, is probably in like the last two or three years of its life. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I assume that Fallen Order 2 will be available on PS4, but there's a chance it might not be. Mm, that's true. If they're making it now... And there's a chance it might not be on PlayStation. Oh, no. It was a big PlayStation title. Yeah, but I don't know who owns. I think somebody else owns the rights to Star Wars games now. No, it's the same company making it. I read it online. I forget who it is. Activision, maybe. Yeah, Activision's owned by Microsoft. Oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, you're really blowing my mind. That would be amazing if he bought a PS5 just to play (laughs) Star Wars games. Well, and then he couldn't. So here's the thing. I don't know what I would do in that situation. Yeah, Activision just got bought by Microsoft. Because I've never owned a Microsoft console. Yeah. Um, They're not great. Yeah. So here's... Okay. Let's say that's not coming into play. Let's say it's going to stay yes. on PlayStation. Right. Uh, here's my questions that I need to ask you. One of yes. them, I already asked you off mic, but I forgot your answer. Is the PS5 backwards compatible? Yes. So I can play my PS4 games yes. on it. Second question, and this is a big selling point for me because I'm not as avid a gamer as you are. Right. Will a PS5 play 4K Blu-rays? 
If you have the disc version, yes, which okay. is another hundred dollars more which, than the digital. But I would do that because yes. a large reason is because I don't have a 4K player. My 4K right. player costs a hundred dollars, so it's oh, they're it's that low same. right now. Yeah, I yeah, bought it like two cheap. years ago for a hundred bucks. Okay, good maybe ninety. Yeah, because I do have 4K compatible TVs at this point, mm. but I don't have the players. So right, something to think about. Jim, weigh in. Should I do it? Um, I think getting a console for one game is Isn't never a yeah. good thing. No, but I mean like. For my future gaming. I mean, eventually, I think it would be good. I would wait for a price drop or... Are those coming, though? Because chips? Probably not for another couple of years. Yeah. But also, I don't think Fallen Order 2 is not going to come out for another couple of years. I probably wouldn't buy it until I knew... Okay, not that I'm buying it for one game, but that game right. is very important for me. I love the first Fallen Order. Right. So... I wouldn't buy it before I knew that it was coming to that platform. Right, exactly. And then um, maybe wait for like a Black Friday sale or something. Yeah, I don't think they're going to be on sale for another like two two or two to three years until there's like a revision or something. Woof. Yeah. Guys, probably not buying a PS5 anytime soon. <laughs> yeah. It was so soft you talked yourself out of it. Yeah, I mean, basically it was me like making consideration and wanting to find out facts from Jimmy. Don't get me wrong. I am always like pro-consumer. <laughs> like yeah. I'm like, yeah, buy it. it. But like, I don't think you really have a use case for it right now. Okay. Something to keep my eye on though. Yeah, we'll for think sure. about it. Yeah. Jim, what are you talking yourself into? Um, I am talking myself into kind of like two things in one, which is kind of weird. Um, two girls for every one yeah so a couple of years ago i started following this guy his name is john comms um he, he does like YouTube. you started following john connor dude no. you're part of the resistance do, 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 do. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny dan um uh, i just wanted to interject by saying that um the person that i follow his name is john cartwright not john comms that is his twitter name but uh yeah check out his stuff i think he's very good um no he's like a journalist that um, does like a bunch of stuff. Um, it, it's mostly for, mostly journalists. It's, it's mostly so, video game. He like stuff. writes all these stories. Yeah, mostly video game stuff. <laughs> um, he does like YouTube videos, whatever reviews, stuff like that. Um, he was at a um, he was working at one company, which then he left there and then started working at this place called Nintendo Life. And then after he stopped stopped working at Nintendo Life, he went to a new company that I've been following because of it, um, which is Good Vibes Gaming. And the cool thing about Good Vibes Gaming is it's like a bunch of people that like left the shitty company and started like their own company. It's which just is nice. some good vibes gaming. Exactly. Dun, dun, dun. Um, but yeah, I've just, I'm not like super talked into the channel, but like I guess I would kind of say I've been talking myself into John and Good Vibes Gaming and um, it's been enjoyable. Um, I, I agree with a lot of things that they say about certain games that come out. And um, I like that it's not just like solely Nintendo based. Sometimes they'll talk about like some PlayStation, Xbox, PC stuff occasionally, which is nice. And uh, it's just it's good vibes all around. I like when people leave a bad situation and start something new. And, exactly. And comment on the bad situation. Oh, yeah. Like, I was in a band that got to feel very stagnant and not fun anymore mm -hmm. so when i left and i formed a new band that band was called progress <laughs> yeah and then you left that because it was stagnant and not fun anymore <laughs> sort of and then they went on for years without you yeah 
yeah but yeah i agree it is kind of like one of those things but like it again they're not like constantly shitting on like the old company or no, whatever but it's like, just like their previous experiences have colored what they want their future to be exactly and that's what i like about it and i like that it's like it's not a crazy big channel like they don't even have like a hundred thousand subscribers or whatever but oh, like, was that all well i mean it's a lot compared to like us so discussion <laughs> right exactly 38 <laughs> but compared to like a big channel like Game Explain or they're uh, not in the Nintendo millions. Life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Will they get there? I don't know. I hope so. They do pretty well on Patreon. I, I've been considering uh, supporting the Patreon, but um, yeah. So that's why I've been talking to myself. And people should support our Patreon. They should. Patreon.com slash talk me into exclusive episodes, early access, free merch, swag sometimes. What a salesman you are. Fellas, yeah. This week, as part of our Star Trek mini series, we're talking about my favorite Star Trek TV series. My wow. favorite. Which is sort of controversial. Yeah, because everything I hear uh, is otherwise. I think there's a lot of people who like this yeah, series. for sure. But I don't think there's a lot of people who find it to be their favorite. Mm. Right. Uh, we're talking about Star Trek Enterprise. Uh, this initially aired September 26, 2001 to May 2005. Wow, great, wow. great timing for a premiere of your show. Yeah, on, <laughs> on UPN, especially because as the show progressed, a large subplot involved terrorism. Uh, I wonder oh, why. A lot yeah. of fiction back then did. Uh, no, this was a, a Star Trek prequel series. It takes place before the original series. Um, it was following Star Trek Deep Space Nine and Star Trek Voyager. They basically ended and this became the only Star Trek thing happening. Because right, there were always like two <clears throat> yep. for like all of the 90s, right? I it think was so. TNG and Deep Space and then Deep Space and Voyager. I'm not an expert Something on like that, that time period, yeah. but there there was a lot of Star Trek. Right. And at this point, um, I think they overlapped a little bit. For the most part, the, the run of this show, this was the only Star Trek. Yeah. Uh, this followed Captain Jonathan Archer, played by Scott Bakula. Mm-hmm. Of Quantum uh, Leap fame. Yeah. 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 Uh, his science officer was T'Pol, uh, played by Jolene Blaylock. So that's his Spock? Sort of, yeah. She was yeah. a Vulcan. Oh. Even more aggressive than Spock, though, because she's full Vulcan. Right. So when she joins the Enterprise... She ain't no halfy. Yeah, she's she's like, I don't F with humans and emotions. Right. Um, is that is calling a Vulcan a halfy <laughs> racist? I mean, he was half Vulcan, half human, is what I think yeah. you were alluding. <laughs> That's what I was alluding. Can you be racist about a race that doesn't exist? Absolutely. Yeah, you, you can. can. Yeah, I hate Trollocs. <laughs> can't stand them it's not it's, bad they stink. <laughs> yeah um yeah i mean i don't know what else to say about this it's got a, a devout small fandom so i don't know anything about the show i know the time period it's set i i know that like they don't have all the technology as they do mm-hmm. like when they're like Kirk still experimenting with low level warp drives right. Right. so i don't think they can warp how how far in advance is it i don't know like when it when it ends to when the original series starts i think it's like 100 years okay so that's pretty significant yeah i think at least something around there i'm trying Um, to find out right now so what makes this show your favorite first of all i like that it's it's all new i i got into star trek 
And aside from the original series, I felt very overwhelmed because, as Jeff referenced, there's a lot of connectivity. Right. That's why the 2009 movie for me is what drew me in. Yeah. Because it was new enough where I didn't didn't have the weight of trying to figure everything out. And that's what this is like. Obviously, there's callbacks to Klingons and Andorians Mm -hmm. and things like that. However, almost all of those are about the first meetings with the Klingons, the first meeting with yeah. the Andorians. There's new aliens introduced. So you don't feel like they're more Easter eggs. Like you're like, yeah. oh, cool. These Klingons are sort of more like the original series Klingons because this takes place then blah, blah, blah. Right. But if you don't know Klingons, you don't feel left out. Yeah. You're able to enjoy it. Um, I also like uh, Scott Bakula's Captain Archer. He feels like a mixture of uh, Kirk, Kirk and Picard. And Picard. Yeah. I agree. He's a little bit more intellectual, a little bit more thought out than Kirk, but he's definitely more take charge action than Picard. Like he'll throw a punch and yeah. stuff like that. He's got a swagger to him, too, that Kirk has. A well. lot of people compare him to Han Solo. Yeah. Uh, not quite as roguish, but like Jimmy said, swag and the ladies love him and he's yeah. cool. He's got a prized beagle. I don't remember what his name was. Yeah, I don't remember either. But T'Pol, his science officer, very attractive, Jolene Blaylock, <laughs> but also like very good. Like it was my first time seeing um, a full Vulcan at this level of like to. It's hard to put a completely non-emotional character as a main character in your show. Yeah, uh, th- she ends up softening in the future, but initially, like, there's a huge like gap between her and the rest of the crew which I found really interesting, especially because it's early on in the relationship between humans and Vulcans. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, the supporting cast is great. As we referenced earlier, there's a lot of allegories to the war on terror, some good, some bad. Mm. Um, But it has to do with like, you know, some terrorist plots by the Zindi, which are like an evil alien race. Uh, Dr. Phlox is a character that we haven't mentioned yet, but he's one of my favorite of the core cast. Um He's the chief medical officer, and he's interesting because there's a lot of analogs to other characters. Like I said, like, you know, Archer is sort of this Kirk Picard hybrid, mm-hmm. and T'Pol is sort of like this extreme Spock. Flox is very different than Bones. Yeah. Like, uh, Bones in the original series is like, uh, you know, uh, he's like this curmudgeon type character. Flox mm-hmm. is like really funny. He gets like sort of slapsticky. So he's like a pediatrician. Kind of. He's got a lot of heart. <laughs> I no, but really. See, yeah, that's actually kind of true. He's also from an alien race that doesn't have a lot of... Uh, he's a, a Denoblian, I think, is a Denobulin. I have no um, idea. He's part of this interspecies medical exchange, and he hasn't a lot of had a lot of experience with humans. So this is all like very fascinating to him. He's very excited to be on uh, Enterprise. Um, so I think it's just like a really interesting character and a really interesting take on that role. Is like mm. it feels a lot truer to what a doctor would be like. Bones right. is great as a foil to Kirk, but yeah. would you want to see a doctor who like <laughs> didn't want to be there and like thought you were a dummy? Right. No, I'd want to see the alien who's like, "Wow, you've got two nipples, even though you're a male." <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Jeff, do you have any exposure to this no, series? Not you've at never all. Seen an episode? I might have seen the first episode at one point because I did try to watch like every series at one point in my life, mm. um, to very poor success. You did you see Scott Bakula in real life? Yeah, I, I did. Yes, yeah. I've seen uh like a couple seasons of the Next Generation. That's always something that I intend to finish. Mm. I've seen a few of Deep Space Nine, a few of Voyager um all of discovery so far 
Um, I'm working on Picard right now, but like, yeah, uh, I, I don't know anything about this show. So yeah. I'm kind of excited and kind of worried. I'm excited because you've always since like I, I've known you or since you've got into it, have loved the show and talked well about it. And I've never given it a chance. I think you'll like it. Yeah, I do, too. I mean, early episodes feel like the original series. It's more episodic villain of the week type thing. All right. What do I have to watch? What are you giving me? I don't know yet. Okay. We're going to put we'll it in the show out. notes. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to pick a few episodes. Jimmy and I might work together on it. I'd like oh, to I give you any, but just like two. I'd like to three. give you like an episode or two of the sort of monster of the week things, but then maybe one or two episodes of more of the three storyline. <laughs> sure. Right. So we'll have to do a little research on that. Jeff. Yeah. And Jimmy. Yeah. As you know, but we'd like to reveal to our audience, we are so stoked. We have an amazing special guest for this episode. As I talked about earlier, one of my favorite characters on the Gene show. Gene Roddenberry's ghost. Yes. Wow. One of my favorite characters on Star Trek Enterprise is Dr. Flox. He's full of heart, full of humor, super qualified, just a very warming presence on the show. I think you're going to mm-hmm. love seeing him. And I got the opportunity to sit down and talk to John Billingsley, the actor who portrayed Dr. Fox. Wait, Dr. Fox isn't real? He's not real. Are you kidding me? He's a character. Why, why Jeff, am I doing this Jeff show? thought this was a documentary. I thought you were talking to an actual outer space alien. Yeah. No, I'm talking to the very talented actor, John Billingsley, who had a lot of really interesting stuff to say about the process of making Enterprise and just his career as a whole. So we're going to squeeze that interview in right now. So you've got a lot to look forward to. Welcome back to Talk Me Into. It's your host, Dan. I am super happy and honored to be joined today by a very talented actor, star of Star Trek Enterprise, Dr. Flox himself, John Billingsley. John, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. My pleasure. I'm elated that this is not actually being filmed because I noticed I have big mustard <laughs> stain on my shirt. So We all usually record in our pajamas, so it works out great for everyone. But it should be noted that you're wearing a very attractive sweater, one that makes me, again, count my blessings. I live in California. Exactly. It is 85 degrees today. It is about 40 degrees right here where I am in Connecticut, so we're bundled uh-huh. up. <laughs> um, so, I laugh, although I, I grew up in Connecticut, more or less, so I, I know uh, at least you used to, at least you get snow days. Yeah. But he has to hunker down. We yeah, had earthquake so days. We talked for a little bit off mic about um, your history with Connecticut. My first question for you is what brings you from that to the world of acting? How did you get involved with acting? I, uh, we moved, my family moved up from the deep South when I was a little kid. So I consequently entered uh, public school in Connecticut. I talked like this. I had a draw. And so needless to say, all the Northern children abused me terribly. And I thought I was, you know, the class pariah. We had mandatory auditions, though, for the school play, which was a Christmas carol. And because I was always a big reader, I could actually read off the page with some degree of um, commitment mm. and passion. So I was cast as Scrooge. And um, consequently, for a brief shining period in my life, I was actually the star. Yeah. And the kids no longer abused me. They looked up to me. Of course, once the show was over, I went right back to being a pariah again. But nonetheless, that's what got me hooked. I, I subsequently, of course, began to recognize that it was an art and an art form and that I actually really dug the work for the work's sake. 
but vanity vanity was the reason i got into it in the first place i love that your history of literature goes back to childhood i can see you've got quite an expansive library behind you so that's one that's one section of one room i'm afraid it's uh it's really uh, it's beats it beats heroin i tell my wife although i think <laughs> she at some point actually has begun to think no i wish you were just taking heroin and then i would have more closet space i think it's fitting that you have that background because your expansive understanding and grasp of linguistics i think comes into play in a lot of the work i've seen you in um which sort of brings me to why we invited you on the podcast today what we do is we take turns talking each other into bits of pop culture that some of us haven't been exposed to yet and ah. as you'll find out throughout the course of this episode i am a moderate star trek fan but a huge Star Trek Enterprise fan. Oh. That, was, that was my series growing up. Enterprise is my favorite. And I'm not ashamed to tell you that Dr. Flox is my favorite character in Enterprise. So this is huge that you're here with us. I'm not ashamed to have you tell me that. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm thrilled. I, Dr. Flox was one of my, my favorite characters in 50 umpteen years of acting. So, so you got your start with Scrooge. And as you mentioned, you have a pretty extensive career. You've worked pretty steadily ever since the late 1980s if i'm correct yeah it depends upon what um how you look at it i mean i was a stage actor from the time i got out of college in 1982 mm. and i always made my living at it although it was a parlous living when i was a kid mm. uh when i was a young person when i was in my 20s but i did make a living i just learned how to scrounge yeah so um in terms of film and television i did a, a little little tiny bit in the mid 80s, late 80s, when I lived in Seattle, but there wasn't a ton of work. And when I eventually decided I needed to move to Los Angeles to really be able to just kind of, you know, have two coins to rub together, that was 1995. Mm. So I, I kind of say, I would say my, my film and television career really got started in um, 1997. Yeah. I mean, that's and that's when I got cast in uh, an episode of uh, NYPD Blue as a uh, as a uh, pathetic child rapist oh uh, on the one hand i've played you know a number of a number of uh, uh, uh sensible and erudite professor types including dr flox on the other hand i've played a horrible array of child molesters and serial killers so go figure i think they like the juxtaposition of this well-spoken you know <laughs> cerebral actor uh portraying some vile parts because some of the things that I am familiar with of your work besides Dr. Flox are these like sort of villain of the week things like a feature on X-Files and things. Yeah. I, I love your turn in those episodes. But yes, I, I go, go figure. And now I've, now I've, I've, I've aged out of child molestation. Nobody wants an old child molester. That's too. Yeah. Crazy. That's just sad. That's just sad. So, th so those days are behind me now for the most part. Yeah. So uh, you said you got, you know, got your sort of break into L.A. Hollywood acting in, in the late 90s and then Star Trek Enterprise premieres on 2001. How did you uh, land upon the part of Dr. Phlox? It, it's always random, you know, as I, I'm now I've, ageism is a real thing in Hollywood. And I also had enough money, you know, saved to not necessarily have to work. So I don't work as much as I used to anymore. But some of it is just, you know, one one kind of passes one's prime for series regular roles i was in a sweet spot in my late 30s as a character guy they're kind of looking for character leads so i was auditioning a fair amount and it was the end of pilot season and i had kind of struck out in a bunch of stuff it was like ah hell mm -hmm. and it was the last pilot of pilot season the only thing they asked for was come in with a slight alien accent 
which befuddled me. Um, <laughs> I tried various funny voices with the misses and um, eventually settled on the voice you're familiar with, of Dr. Flox. When I went in, I, I punctuated my scene with an occasional squawk of joy. I thought perhaps on his planet he was a bird, so my uh, my delivery was a blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and, and they cast me. So up until the first day we shot, I thought, oh, I'm a bird. Yeah, They didn't make me look like a bird. I wasn't dressed <laughs> like a bird, but they hired me and I squawked, so I thought I was a bird. So the very first rehearsal and the very first scene I was in, I still never having been told I wasn't a bird. I went blah, 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 rawr! And the director, Jim Conway, said, quit fucking around, John, which is <laughs> how I knew I wasn't a bird. So. <laughs> I love the choice and the commitment to the choice. Yeah, you, you know, shot, right? Uh, you sh exactly. You take your shot. I know there are many things I particularly look back at my stage career and I think, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe <laughs> I did that. Hey, I did. I brought you to where you are. So Dr. Flox is, I feel pretty confident in saying that he's one of the most beloved characters of Star Trek Enterprise, and he ranks pretty high up there in Star Trek fandom in general. In fact, in 2016, Sci-Fi ranked Dr. Flox of the six main space doctors, the first, the number one fan favorite space doctor for the Star Trek franchise. I, uh, I, I just want you to make sure that if you ever interview Bob Picardo, tell, just tell him that. So Bob, Bob Picardo, I, who I love, he's a good friend of mine. Bob Picardo sends me little things every now and again. La, 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 fan poll says, oh, Bob Picardo, most popular doctor. John Billingsley flocks. Uh, oh, well, only beats out Diana Moldauer. Like, oh. <laughs> screw hard, you. Hard disagree between the, yeah. the bedside manner and the success rate of actually treating and curing these uh, red I, shirts. I, I know. Think up there. And, and board, I saw, I cured boredom, forgot. Yeah. I, mean, you know, I, I fixed boredness. That's a big deal. Big deal. I know. So I how know, I did you... I should have written that down? You know, yeah. like so no future generations. Borgdom, fix it. You got it fix on the it, record. You know, yeah, put yourself through like really bad radiation. I guess you know, denobulans can take a lot of radiation. They did. David Livingston. When I, uh, for those people who don't know, in that episode, I I irradiated the Borg Borgness out of me. And uh, so there's a scene where I'm about to go through the radiation chamber. And David Livingston says, keep your eyes closed. It'll look cooler. It's like, <laughs> maybe it'll look cooler, but don't. I mean, I'm getting around. What? Keep my eyes open. All right, fine, fine, yeah. fine. I tease David about that all the time. He's actually on the board of the Hollywood Food Coalition, which is a charitable organization I help run. So yeah, I have multiple opportunities to make fun of him. There you go. You got to keep in touch with those people. Exactly. So... So being that Dr. Flox is known for his heart and this levity that he keeps, even in dire circumstances, how did you create Flox? Aside from what's on the written page, so much of it, I feel, is from your own mannerisms and just the joyfulness that you bring to it. Is, is Flox based on anyone in your life? It, no, I mean, you know, honestly, if it's not on the page, you can't play it. It was written, um, Optimism Captain. I mean, it was it was it, it was written to be played by somebody who was in touch with with jubilance a mm. jubilation so i can't take any special credit for it I, I do i do think sometimes what happens is is that you know as people begin to get accustomed to your odd little quirks of of your vocal tics and your physical mannerisms they can kind of begin to without consciously doing this right into strengths you have and right into certain rhythms that are natural to you it's a very strange and I think um, unspoken process. Mm. I feel fortunate that they um, got 
me enough to never with one or two rare exceptions throw anything my way that i kind of felt was like what ah! i think the only exception for me was when they said that he was a member of the denobulan infantry at one point he was a medic <laughs> in the denobulan infantry i thought ah, really the denobulan infantry you don't picture picture flocks diving into foxholes i i, I don't i don't particularly i don't particularly picture denobula having an infantry if it exactly. comes to that. i mean i just seem like you know we're lovers not fighters for yeah. god's sake very uh, experienced lovers uh, but you just don't you thing. just don't very experienced lovers and you just you really don't know i mean when i got the gig it was like okay well there's never been another denobulan what explains his presence and why mm. we've never heard of his species before so i i thought all right well you kind of make your own little backstory knowing it's going to be contradicted yeah. um but unlike playing a vulcan or, or a klingon you know you really have the whole field so i thought all right well he comes from kind of a monastic world there are only seven denobulans left and he's fleeing the planet because he's lonely you know so it turns out they're the fuck bunnies of the galaxy <laughs> they all have multiple wives and it's like you know you're getting out because it's like god i need a little breathing room yeah so go figure i love so, that idea he's just you know uh you know let's do some sort of doctor exchange so i can uh have a little freedom from the, the what is it three or five wives yeah i know i know it's like uh, see you guys yeah. you know you got you got a whole shitload of other husbands i got a mission here. and i got a mission yeah so yeah, how much how much did the makeup process for you know portraying a denoblian did that inform the character at all for you or did you just find it annoying and a hindrance Neither. I mean, it's an annoying, it's a nuisance insofar as it's two and a half hours to put on. So on mm. those days when you have a full day, when you're going to be first up and last out, and then you're tacking on two and a half hours at the beginning and an extra 45 minutes at the end, you're pretty wrung out by the time you get home. But there are a lot of actors who had more onerous prosthetics than I did. Carmen mm. Shimmerman, who had to wear teeth, the Klingons that are encased in a full head the board process took four to six hours i believe at least for a while it was it was not pleasant but it was not grueling yeah um, the eyeballs were probably the worst part of it um you know they have to anytime you're playing a space alien they fit you with uh gargantuan contact lenses they have mm -hmm. to be big enough to cover your entire eyeball and when the contact lens is that size they can't really um it, they can be prescription but they can't account for astigmatism which i have so mm. consequently i had uh i had very um uh strange vision i could see things relatively far away but you know i i, I couldn't read at all at all and i'm a reader yeah and part of the reason i like to act is because half the day on a set has just been reading so that <laughs> that was you know like that was my grumble that makes yeah. some of your performances even more impressive when you're like looking at all these medical data pad files and everything like that and knowing that you you can't see yeah. anything on there. You really can't. No, you yeah. really can't. <laughs> you really can't. Um, actually, Johnny Phillips, the reason he left, if you watched Voyager, the reason he left early, he left before the end of the seventh season is the eyes finally did him in. He was yeah. a bad, uh, bad reaction. Um, and we had we had another guest star, a great guy. Uh, who played one of the Sulaban. Um, and and he he had never worn contact lenses. It took like six guys holding him down on the chair. You know, we're going to get the oh. fucking contact lens in you. It's like, <laughs> wow, why don't you just have the Sulaban? They all wear glasses. That, no, you, you know, they all wear glasses. That's yeah. the one little strange quirk. Wouldn't it be lovely if you were part of an alien species that just was like comfortable all the time? 
I know. I, I well, and you know, and I got to say that Flocks. What I loved about him is he basically wore pajamas. He didn't mm-hmm. have to wear the Starfleet uniform. I mean, I loved putting my my wardrobe on. It was like, I wonder what pair of pajamas I'm wearing today. Yeah. Green pajamas, the striped pajamas. So while the mask could tend to be um, uncomfortable, I was actually never hot because mm-hmm. I was not having to wear a, a, a restrictive clothing. Yeah. I know you were given these sort of like nice flowy, like silken scrubs almost. That was great. And and slippers, basically. Yeah. And slippers. So I got to kind of slough around like I was, you know, just like, yeah. Like I don't know had. if you've seen any of it, if you how closely you follow the new Star Trek stuff, but I really feel for the uh, Klingon actors in Discovery. They're oh, really uh, like in a suit of armor at all times. Uh, I know. I uh, believe me. I, I watched a little bit of Discovery. I'm not I've never been. <laughs> and for those of you who, who are listening to this for whom the Klingons, you, you, you live and breathe and, and eat and sleep Klingon. I, 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 I find Klingon to be boring. Yeah. I, I find Klingons to be boring as hell. And the new Klingon, they have to, they have so much more to say. It's <laughs> like, Oh my God. And it's all, you know, the, the original series, the Klingons just spoke English like every, yeah. everybody else. Now With the Klingons accent. actually speak Klingons and it's like, Oh my God, this goes on forever. And the teeth are even more aggressive that they're the talking. The teeth through. are aggressive. I know. I, I, uh, yeah. I, I'm sorry. No, not a, not a Klingon guy. Yeah, I don't sorry, blame you. Hersley. Sorry, Robert O'Reilly. I love you guys. But <laughs> well, I think I that's know. part of the fun of uh, going through these Star Trek. Um, we're doing a whole mini series on different Star Trek films and TV series because uh, there's probably people listening to this who are fans of yours who are just tearing us up in the comments because we're not the world's biggest trekkers but it's all about discovering new aspects of star trek that we're not familiar with uh-huh. so well, I, anybody who knows me and and uh, and i've been you know i've been going to conventions and gabbing about various and sundry things for 20 umpteen years anybody who knows me that knows that i'm i'm you know 98 of reverence and two percent hot air <laughs> Love that. I mean, I, I think it's been Provide fun going through some of these uh, Star Trek memories with you, but I know that right now you're very active with the Hollywood Food Coalition. And I want to know, um, you know, ever since Gene Roddenberry started Star Trek, uh, a huge part of um, not only just the story and the plotting, but just the way the future is depicted has been about building a better world. And I think um, I'd like to hear what you can tell us more about the mission of the Hollywood Food Coalition and your involvement with that group. Sure. Um, it's been around for about 35, 36 years now. I've been with it for six years. Um, it, we, it, when I joined, its primary goal was to serve a hot, multi-course nourishing meal to all comers seven nights a week, which it did and continues to do brilliantly. And it also provided an array of ancillary services emergency services such as distribution of clothing, shoes, hats, sleeping bags, tents, laundry vouchers, et cetera, et cetera. And additionally, an attempt to help people who had deeper needs uh, by hooking them up to other social service organizations who could maybe get them housing or mental health treatment, et cetera. Mm. When I got involved, one of the things that struck me was that it's very difficult to attach a lot of funding to an organization as wonderful as what their mission was, could be perceived as only providing a Band-Aid. That's a perception. I don't consider that to be an accurate appraisal of what that work is. But my concern was, how do you grow an organization to get to the point where you can actually staff it? Because at the time we were, were understaffed, we really had one 
paid person in the kitchen and two drivers, the long-term volunteer who had been carrying the place on her shoulders for years, never took a dime out of it. Uh, I was concerned. What, what happens when she steps down? Mm-hmm. So my argument and, and an argument that a number of us kind of took up was, can we find ways to rescue and share more food with more communities? So over the arc of the last some years, we have gotten to the point where we've been able to really formalize that effort. And we now rescue about 2 million pounds of food a year above and beyond what we um, share with our, our own nightly meal constituents. We share with about 100 other not-for-profits to help buttress and augment the, their meal programs. And we sit at a variety of community tables that are designed to kind of wrestle with questions about how do you get more food out to more people in more interesting and innovative ways? What are the problems in the infrastructure? How do you find more refrigeration, more storage space? How do you work together more collaboratively to kind of solve this problem of food distribution? Um, A lot of food goes to waste in America and one in five American kids is food insecure. That means on any given day, they're not sure not necessarily they may eat, but what are they going to eat? When are they going to eat? When, you know, is it going to be good? Is it going to be healthy? Yeah. So um, it, it, it is a cause very dear to my heart. I was the board president. I'm stepping down in, uh, in June. I'll still continue to chair the development committee. But um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's pretty important to me. Yeah, uh, no, I think it's great. I mean, you've got a big following on social media and you're using that to shed light on, on a cause that's dear to you. And also like, just important when you talk about not just hunger and food insecurity, but like you mentioned, food waste. And it's about yeah. building an infrastructure to to make those problems, uh, if not go away, then at least we can do something to try to lessen the effects. And, and in an ancillary way, although this is not necessarily the primary goal of our organization, but it is nonetheless important. And we partner with a lot of groups for whom this is a key goal, uh, keeping food out of landfills. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of, a lot of what, you know, the, the, contributory factor to climate change is methane gas. Mm. A lot of that comes from the, the food, rotting food, not rotting food. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, and a lot of, in terms of what you're talking about with Roddenberry, yes, it is, it has always been really important to me to find ways to give back and to be involved in my community. And um, I'm, I'm political, but I'm not somebody who would ever have made a good politician. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't particularly work well in the political arena because it's such, it's, it's sharp elbowed. Mm nature of it. it it's, it's about, you know, competition, rise to yeah. the top, beat this guy down. Um, I have tremendous admiration for people who are good at the craft of uh, legislating, but the politicking required to get to the place where you can be a legislator is not to me, is not for me. Yeah. So I've always had to look to, um, to the social service world to kind of make a difference. And, um, and that's always kind of been a big part of my life. Yeah, I think that's huge. And uh, I mean, the thing that most people, even non-fans of Enterprise, know about it is that it's a prequel. It takes place in more in times that are closer to where we are. Obviously, we've got a lot to do if we're going to try to yeah. reach some of these goals. Uh, I think yeah. it takes place in the 2100s, if I'm not yeah. Uh, mistaken. Yeah. So just to wrap this up with, with a fun question, we've got a long way to go across the board. Uh, but if there was one piece of technology that we could obtain from Star Trek Enterprise in the next 80 years, what would you like to see the world uh, be able to grasp? I'm not somebody who necessarily, and I know this is not really in line with aspects of what Star Trek promulgates that um, tech will liberate us and set us free. 
I, I, uh, I'm of two minds about what we have, why we're in so many pickles. Mm. Uh, as our moral evolution, I think, can lag behind our technological competence. Yeah. And so there's a part of me that would almost like if I was able to conjure a device, it would be, I'll call it the ambliesquinator, which would keep our moral evolution more on par with our technological sophistication. So our tech wasn't allowed to run out that far ahead of how we as human beings were capable of actually grappling with it. Um, I'll throw, that answer. I'll throw out one other thing, which I, I just love, which is this guy named Ted. What is his last name? He's a sci-fi writer. Chang, I think his last name is Chang. He wrote a wonderful book um, of short stories. And in one of them, he posits that, and, and his take in the story, the narrator of the story is, I was very dubious about this technology, is that we had the ability to basically film our entire lives. We had a little camera inside mm -hmm. of us. And it filmed everything. So there was, a, there was a record of everything we did. And his initial response is, that's a terrible, what a horrible, la, 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 la. But the story sort of centers around this conflict he has with his daughter. And he is ent his entire life, he has assumed that he was in the right. And his daughter finally says, let's look at the tape. Mm. And he looks at the tape and he goes, oh, fuck. Hmm. Sometimes I do think that would be kind of an interesting thing if we could actually kind of in our lives go, let's look at the tape. Let's just see what really happened at Uncle Milton's birthday party. Yeah. Um, I, I, I thought that was a fascinating bit of tech that it's like, oh, that would change things. Yeah, I like your response too about the the moral evolve evolve later whatever you want to call it because yes, it, yeah. One thing yeah. that's not addressed in Star Trek is like we can talk all about like the transporter and all that stuff, but before any of that happened, Earth got to a place where we could like solidly come together as one unified world. Yeah, yeah. And that's exactly. not really that's not really discussed, and we've got a long way before that happens. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I I know, and and you know, I, and I've had I, I go again back and forth because I think. I think it's really lovely that Gene basically said, look, if, if you can't imagine it, you'll never achieve it. So right. let's create a world in which we imagine it's feasible <laughs> and look at how exciting that world would be. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a wonderful achievement. So I don't want to get too kind of like, you know, picky or pedantic and say, yeah, but we can't. At the same time, I think the evolution of Star Trek down the years and the nature of the way our world has changed. 1966, when the, sh when the show first premiered, was a time when, you know, we passed the Civil Rights Act. It looked as if, you know, war on poverty, that there was there was there was a general sense, Vietnam aside, there was a general sense of hopefulness. It is hard to be a thinking person right now and feel tremendously hopeful about the world. Right. And I think that has has changed and has had to change the nature of the way the current iterations of Star Trek grapple with the underlying conceit of Star Trek, that a perfectible world is still feasible. Right. I, I appreciate the fact that anybody who's trying to do Star Trek is actually having to ask a slightly different set of questions now. Yeah, I mean, it used to be uh, an idealized Earth looking out at the troubles of the galaxy. And now Star Trek has to basically take a look inward about what the problems within the Federation are and, and how they can affect that. Yeah. I mean, I, my honestly, the thing about Enterprise, and forgive me, I don't mean to keep you if you need to split, but I, 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 I found what was interesting about our show 
And what I kind of wish they'd gone a little farther with is it being the first show, we were um, we were scared and we were uh, not Dr. Phlox. He was unflappable. <laughs> but the other people, the humans were kind of scared and and um, it, it didn't trust the transporter. Weapons misfired had never right. actually come across a villainous alien species before. I sort of wish stylistically they'd kind of mixed it up a little bit more, more overlapping dialogue, certain things that had had been a little outside of the box for the way Star Trek is usually done on screen. Mm-hmm. I kind of felt in a way that we didn't quite find a, a, t- a tone and a style that was necessarily uh, going to support some of what was kind of scary and kind of wonderful, I thought, about first ship. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think we missed the boat a little bit. Uh, so as much as I like aspects of our show, I I, I do feel as if it came up a smidge short because we still had to be, to a certain extent, your daddy's Star Trek. We were a little afraid that we wouldn't get the audience if we went too far afield. Right. I, I kind of agree with that. I also would, would posit that perhaps that's the show Dr. Phlox was living in, even though the rest of the cast was in a Star Trek show like uh, Flock seemed to be in his own a sitcom in his mind where he's like funny slash horny most of the time when he's dealing with all these issues. So I think that's a, a nice juxtapose to the traditional Star Trek show tropes. Uh, Dr. Flock's fundamentally, in my opinion, just was not particularly afraid of dying. Yeah. I mean, I think Dr. Flox was kind of like he lived a nice long life. He, he, he left, you know, he left his estate in good hands. He, um, you know, anytime, anytime Dr. Flox seemed to be fearful, it was like, I was like, I don't, I kind of don't want Dr. Flox to ever really, like there was one episode when he was, you know, he, his face blew up like a puffer fish. He was kind of afraid to go to the, yeah. it's like, that was another episode where I kind of felt like, well, actually really, that's not, I think the guy, right. I think like, you know, he says truth to power. It's like, what's the worst that can fucking happen to the guy? Yeah. Well, on that note, I think we should wrap this up. You know, you said you've, you've, uh, you've taken down your workload in recent years, but I know you did do a pretty interesting turn on the Hulu Pam and Tommy Lee uh, series. And so I wanted to know just as we close out, um, do you have anything planned out for the future? Anything you're looking forward to or that we can look forward to? Um, The only thing I've got coming up is I booked three episodes of an Apple mini series called Manhunt, which is based on a nonfiction book by a gentleman whose name is escaping me about the Lincoln assassination and the hunt for Lincoln's killers and their subsequent trial. Um, well, that's Carl Franklin is directing it. He directed a movie I was in called out of time with Denzel Washington. Yeah. And, uh, I uh, am thrilled to have the chance to work with him again. I don't know if it's going to be a particularly interesting part. You know, they didn't give me a lot of material to audition with. I play a, what appears to be a corrupt judge. Mm. So, you know, I, I don't know if it's much to chew on, but, um, you know, that's the only thing I've got on the docket. Um, I still like to work and I, I, I still audition. One of the things that has changed in our industry since COVID is you don't go into the room anymore. Right. It's all on tape on tape. Yeah. And and in my opinion, that has had a sort of a flattening effect for a lot of character people. Um, One, they can see a lot more of us for a single audition than they used to when, Mm -hmm. you know, there was a little more. Well, you can only see as many people as can come into the room. Um, And two, you just don't know whether or not they're really watching your stuff. 
Yeah. If you put yourself on tape and, you know, within the first couple of minutes, the first couple of beats, they think that's not what I'm looking for. When you go into the room, they have to watch the whole audition and you're frequently not right for what you're auditioning for. Um, but they like you and they use you for something else. So I think, right, there's, yeah. you know, some things that have almost every character actor I know who hasn't reached a higher level than I've had. I mean, I reached a certain rung on the ladder. I didn't reach a rung where they will call me and offer me a gig. Mm. If, if most of the people I know who are on the rung I'm at have similar complaints that the the nature of the way the industry now auditions people, it, you have to do a lot more auditions to get less work. Yeah, so. I can imagine. Well, I'm excited for that Lincoln project, though. I think Apple TV has been putting out some good stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The subject it, matter it, seems yeah. cool. Yeah, it's got a good cast. And and uh, no, I'm looking forward to it, too. And it shoots in Savannah, which is always one of the things I enjoy is getting Return to, to your roots. Cool places. A little farther oh. north. I, I would slide out <laughs> Louisiana and Huntsville, oh. Alabama. Nice. Yeah, well, yeah, well, <laughs> I was happy to get to Connecticut. No offense. Yeah. <laughs> Louisiana, but. Well, John, it's been more. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Uh, My pleasure, Dan. I'm Sorry sure all the listeners are just as excited as I am. And is there anywhere um, that you can direct us where we can help out the Hollywood Food Coalition or where we should follow you online? Yeah, um, I'm jbillingsley60 on Twitter. And although I confess I haven't been I haven't been tweeting all that much. And now that what's his name is bought it, I don't know. Uh, we'll see uh, what happens there if he lets the dark if he lets the if he lets voldemort back on that's it I, i'm not going along yeah um and uh but uh, hollywood food coalition the easiest thing to do would be to go to h-o-f-o-c-o that's hofoco.org and that's our website and read about us and if you're interested in following us you'll have all the social media information there and you'll learn a lot more than i could possibly convey in a single podcast about what we do why we do it and how we do it and if you're in L.A., that's also where you would sign up to either serve or help make a meal or help rescue food or help us on our Sunday sack lunch distribution program. We have every Sunday we distribute around three to four thousand multi-element sack lunches to people experiencing homelessness all over the city of Los Angeles. Yeah, it's a great show, cause. So check out HOFOCO.com. Uh, org. Dot org. I'm sorry. H-O-F-O-F-O-C-O-D-O-R-G. And John, once again, thank you very much. Uh, this point of this episode is to talk our friend Jeff into Star Trek Enterprise. And with your help, there's no way we could fail. Ah, uh, Jeff, you know, here's the thing. I'm not in every episode, so it's not such a time commitment. You can fast forward through the scenes I'm not in. Yeah, at the very no. least, we'll talk him into the performances of John Billingsley. Yeah, there you go. Just, you know, just fast forward through everything I'm not in and you'll, you know, you can get all your television watching done in a matter of weeks. Yeah. yeah all right. Thanks very much. Thank you. So, fellas, yeah, hi. I had hi. a great time talking to John Billingsley. Honestly, one of the highlights of this whole podcast. Do you for think me. he had a great time talking to you? I think he had a fair time talking to me. He probably forgot it already. Um, the next day, he probably forgot. I it. know the interview went a little <laughs> bit longer than I estimated it would, uh, but he seemed like he was a good sport. Good. Yeah, it was good. It seemed like he was having fun. Yeah. Do I you want to so invite good. him to be the fourth host of Talk Me Into? Yes. Yes, I do. That's, that's, that's cool. where this whole episode like, today is I'm talking you into every book I own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a great time. Thank you to John Billingsley. Everyone uh, keep an eye out for his upcoming roles and check out his uh, charitable efforts that he's involved in. Uh, so, Jeff, Jimmy. Yeah, we've taken a little time away. 
Uh, I talked to the star of one of my favorite shows. Uh, you guys did not. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. Uh, yeah. We watched the first two episodes of Star Trek Enterprise, a.k.a. the first episode. Love these two parters. Yes, Broken, broken Bow. bow. Oh. Broken Bow. Bow. I thought it was Bow at first. It's Bow because it's, it's yeah. a ship. Yeah. Well, oh, I that. thought because his name is Archer. Nope. It's actually none of those things. Well, no. I mean, it's. I'm sure they picked that word for that reason because it has multiple. Well, words. it's it's a location that's featured in the beginning of the episode. Yeah, but also archers yep. have bows. <laughs> but Wait, what's the word? <laughs> it's Broken Bow, Oklahoma. I think I yep. forget the state. It's but Oklahoma. Yeah, it's where the Klingon is being chased. By the two mysterious shapeshifter weirdos. So I've seen this before. You have. I remember this scene because at one point, mm. I believe I watched the first episode of every Star Trek series to see which one I liked most. Okay. But after uh, the Klingon gets shot, I don't remember. So I don't think I finished it. He's being chased by the Sulaban. Oh, um, the Taliban. This, uh, I mean, let's just say there could be connections. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, the timing that this came out. Uh, 2002. Jeff, if One. we talk you into Star Trek Enterprise. September 26, 2001, this came out. Damn. You Too will find out that this entire series is an allegory for the War on Terror. Yeah, a lot of fiction or media at that time was. Also, Star Trek has a history of... Uh, connecting with no, it doesn't. Politics. It's only woke now. Yeah, it's all. It's only that's woke true. I forgot. Jeff. Yeah, there was there was no political or social mm. anything in any sort of science fiction no. before 2016 when the liberal cuck Hollywood elites. <laughs> so Jeff, yeah, uh, for an opening episode that runs fairly lengthy. I think we're at like an hour twenty minutes here. Well, it's two episodes. So yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think they. Aired, I don't know. There's some question as to how they aired. Um, I'm getting a phone call from CVS because I'm a boss. CVS Pharmacy? Yeah. Wow. wow. Uh, so anyway, so in, prescription? A, in an hour and 20 minute runtime, oh. it's a fairly simple plot. It is very simple. Basically, it opens up this cold open. Uh, a Klingon is being chased by two Suliban aliens. Uh, they're after him. They shoot him. Uh, no, no, no. A farmer guy shoots him. Oh no. no! He blows up the grain silo that they're in. You're you're doing a lot of things here. Uh, you're <laughs> you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. Uh, the farmer shoots the Klingon. Yes. Mysteriously, after the Sulaban try to kill the Klingon in the grain tower. Yes. Uh, anyways, so the humans have in possession of a Klingon. Uh, they've never made contact with Klingon before. Right. Right. This, this is first contact for a Klingon. Right. This series opens up approximately 90 years after first contact of any kind um, mm -hmm. with the Vulcans after Zephram Cochran creates the warp drive warp engine in first contact. Yep. Um, we basically find out that the Federation is still in early stages of development. They were completing work on the Enterprise, which is their first warp five capable starship. Yeah. I like how when this starts, you have little baby John Archer. Yep. I mean, he's a child. He's not, he's not yeah, a baby. A child. And he's just like playing with space models, but you could already tell it's futuristic, but it still has that like nostalgia, early 60s mm -hmm. NASA feels. And then when he's actually on like some kind of ship, like working on the Enterprise, he's just wearing like a Navy trucker hat yeah. and like a jacket. It's nothing spacey at all. It feels very yeah. now, even though it right. is the future. Right. It just feels like a regular guy doing work on a vehicle. 
Yeah, I mean, I think they do a few key things that help sell that. So some of the technology on the ship still feels more futuristic than the original series, which is anachronistic. Mm. Yeah. But one thing they do that I really love is their uniforms are like what military like right, right, yeah. soldiers would wear on a ship. It feels a lot more contemporary than what we see. Well, in I mean, Star even the feel Trek is stuff. a lot more militaristic than Star Trek usually feels because mm-hmm. Star Trek is usually they're on a peaceful missions. Mm-hmm. This very much just feels like the government is involved in you know right and why don't you actions. sort of say what the main push of the plot is which is yeah because they have this klingon body mm-hmm. and well, you he's know, not dead yet no, he's not dead yet oh, we're all we're all halfway there right to death oh we're, geez we're, we're almost there dan yeah. um and the the military guys they want to like you know test on them right nope or kill them nope what do they want to do in klingon culture if you're defeated in battle you, you die. should die. Oh, yeah. So they don't want to disgrace them. So they're basically like, um, we should just let him die. That's what the Vulcans say. They're yeah, like, the Vulcans were uh, more, I guess, like sympathetic towards like Klingon, Klingon culture. Yeah. And they're like, hey, you got to respect their wishes. Right. He, he failed in battle. He, and Archer's like, we're not going to do that. We're going to take him back to Klingon town. <laughs> because exactly. this is America. Yeah. Um, I, I do <laughs> kind of love the... It kind of does like start you off with like just a classic Star Trek quandary. It's like, oh, should we let this person like live out their cultural rituals or should we do the thing that the Federation stands for? Right. And uh, it just feels very like classic Star Trek, which I appreciate, especially for the first episode of a new series. Right. A moral quandary. Yeah. Also, I appreciate that. uh, Let's not like pull our punches. A huge reason why they want to take him back to Kronos is because. Archer wants an excuse to, like, get this shit going. Like, they've been working on Enterprise for a long time. He watched his father spend his entire life working on this Warp 5 engine. And it seems like we get through conversation. I think it's done really well. The interpersonal relationships between the Federation and the Vulcan High Command, Mm -hmm. which is like Archer basically alludes to, like, every time we take a step forward, you make us pause. Right. And he's like, no, not this time. Right. We got the Warp 5 engine done. We're going to take this Klingon back to Kronos. I like how excited they are, too. They're like, we can get to Neptune and back in nine minutes. Yeah. And I'm like, that's very impressive. That (laughs) would now take, like, 16 years. Yeah. Yeah, this is only, like, what, 200 years in the future from, like, now or something like that? Yeah, supposedly. But, um, so cool. Yeah. So basically, uh, Archer has like 13 days to put together his crew. And so there's like a put the team together type of uh, scene where he goes and gets, uh, Sato, who's like the linguistics expert. And, uh, he gets, uh, well, Trip Tucker is already working on the Enterprise. And, uh, then he meets his, uh, head science officer who he's not too thrilled with. She's installed by Vulcan High Command. She's T'Pol. Yeah. Yeah. Played by Jolene Blaylock. Um and I what did you guys think of the choice to put uh like this is a big deal. I mean, everyone thought Spock was an outsider, but he's half human. Correct. To right. Paul, she's a cold fish. Oh yeah. It is kind of funny though. At least in this first episode, it doesn't feel like she's as cold as like she is later on in the series. Really? I think there's moments where she has like utter disdain for Archer. Like the scene mm. in his cabin where he's got his dog, and right, she's like, "Yeah, that's true." Trying so hard to control, he's like, "Oh, that's right." Vulcan females have a heightened sense of smell. She looks like she's gonna puke any second. Yeah, she does warm up towards the end of the episode. Oh, though. for sure. That's 
right. mean, that's the real character arc. She right. gets real warm when she's in that shower with the guy. <laughs> I knew this was coming. Oh, yeah. After they do some shore leave, she, uh, her and, and uh, Lieutenant Tucker were exposed to a bacteria, and they... They have to bathe each other down in this slime. <laughs> so a lot of people who like Star Trek were like the the Kelvin films and Discovery. They made Star Trek too sexy. And then I'm watching this and I was like, sirs, have you seen this? This is very sexy right this here. This is like 1990s Max late yeah. night. Yeah, it is. It, it gets really... sexier if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Because this was pretty sexy. <laughs> Yeah, Jolene Blaylock is looking good, and <laughs> hey, if Trip Talk is your thing, he's got some nice abs and pecs as well. Hell yeah. Uh, but yeah. Real steamy. <laughs> I can't help but wonder if between takes they're like, let's get our nips iced up again, because... <laughs> yeah, they're there. Every single shot, they're there. <laughs> but Jeff, I, uh, so basically... Yeah. They're on the way to bringing the Klingon back to Kronos, and he's kind of semi-conscious, but he's had, like, brain damage or something, so he's not really telling them a lot of info about why the Suliban were after him. Then the Suliban show up. And then they steal him. Yep, they steal him. Uh, they can sort of turn invisible. They can cloak right, themselves. like chameleons. Yeah. yeah. Like um, Predator. They can do other creepy things, like slide under cracks and doors and do all kinds of stuff we find yeah out that that's like that humans. cg was very dated <laughs> but they, i like it they won emmys on this show for their for their special effects which is kind of crazy i mean the the space stuff is cool it, it's it looks like it's of its time but it's fine what did you think of the modeling and the design of this version of the enterprise oh, i liked it because so the the exterior i thought was just cool because it looks like uh a mix between space shuttles now yeah. and in the future or what we think will it'll look like in the future and the interior is like it's futuristic but it's not like 60s futuristic right while also still being militaristic it feels confined like you're in a submarine yeah almost so i think that they, they pulled that off thing. the realism pretty well they do that thing with like the stainless steel or like brushed aluminum walls yep. and stuff where it's not quite as sleek as like the original right. series or right, right. nowhere near as sleek and hip and cool as the <laughs> Abram stuff. Yeah. But um Yeah, so the Suliban have the Klingon now. They're trying to hide him. Uh they're trying to figure out what what he has that the Suliban want, and it turns out that he has information. That's right, yeah. That the Suliban are responsible for attacking Klingon, I believe. It's kind of convoluted, but basically, something's going on with the Suliban. They're involved in a temporal cold war. Jeff, what do you think about this concept of a temporal cold war? I don't remember. This is uh, <laughs> when you see the Suliban meeting with that mysterious... Oh, like the shadow person? Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Basically, we find out later that the Suliban are receiving instructions from someone in the future yeah Ooh, is it captain kirk we don't know who it is oh basically someone from the future is instructing them to do tasks that will change the course of future history this becomes a big plot point that plays out over the series yeah that's right um but honestly like throughout this episode i think what we're talking you into is more just like the vibe and the feel yeah the characters yeah so early I mean, on, we didn't even talk about Dr. Flox. That's where I'm getting to right now. When he's putting together his crew, we meet Dr. Flox, who is part of an exchange program, uh, like an interspecies exchange program 
to expose scientists to different aliens and uh archer meets him and is pretty impressed right away that he actually knows what a klingon is and has experience with yep. them uh and he recruits him to join the enterprise uh I love the first scene of Flocks on the Enterprise with Archer where he's like unpacking his gear and he's got all these weird like alien animals and stuff that he's yeah. using for like, oh, this one has a, a venom that like neuralizes toxins and stuff like right. that. And it's just like played out for a gag, but it shows that he's like unorthodox. And- yeah. And then it comes into play too when Archer gets shot. Yep. And uh, there's a little starfish guy on him. Yeah. And he's like. Um, the pain is excruciating, so I had you sedated. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. What did you think of the interplay with uh John Billingsley's? I character? liked him. He's um, he's playful, but not like corny. They could have went total comic relief. Yeah, but they right. didn't. It's it, the way that he portrayed Fox in these episodes was very lighthearted. Mm-hmm. Um, but also with with a weight of you know urgency and sincerity. Also, he's capable. Yeah. Like, he does a lot of good things in this episode. As Jimmy referenced, he used unorthodox techniques to heal Archer like way faster than and he he's not like healed. fighting against somebody saying you can't do that. No, he just that's just right. what he does. He's also like, uh, I love when they first bring the Klingon to him. He's like um, talking about him and he's like, this is the first time I've ever gotten to work on a live Klingon. <laughs> so like his experience yeah. has been just like with with dead, dead bodies. People, yeah. And he's like, will he wake up? And he's like, I don't know. He may, yeah. <laughs> and he does, and it's just... So, when I used to watch Star Trek randomly when I was a kid, I, I was always like, this is dumb. These are supposed to be different aliens, but it's just a person with, like, a line on their head or, like, yeah. an extra ear hole or something. And I, I used to think it was, like, not creative. I mean, since I've grown up, I understand the reasons for that and why they do that <laughs> and right. the practicality of it. Um so when when they show Fox and he has the prosthetics on, I'm like, okay, this is a very Star Trek alien. And then there's this one scene when it's like a close up of his face and he smiles. Yeah. And they use yeah. CG. <laughs> now it, it looks really strange now, but the integration of CG into that to make him alien enough, and it wasn't really Uncanny Valley because it was really extreme. But I like that they went that route to just do something extra, right? To be yeah. like, hey, yeah. his facial structure is different than ours. Like now with Saru and Discovery, the prosthetics is just insane, and they do integrate right. some CG into it. But there's like he's weird enough to like that's an alien. But like people like Fox, because like a guy with prosthetics, and when they do these things like that, I appreciate it. Right. I will say. So John Billingsley talked about the makeup process and yeah, that was, that is, cool. that is a big hindrance to having too much because he like couldn't see anything. That's yeah. Crazy. Those, those eyeball contacts. I always remember behind the scenes footage of uh, how the Grinch stole Christmas mm. and they put like these yellow yeah. contacts That's in Jim right. Carrey's yeah. eyes and they're like spheres. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, I will say like, I'm pretty sure it's been a while since I've seen the whole series, but I'm pretty sure later on you see more of Dr. Flocks, like his arm and arms and stuff his bare arms and you they do continue some of those prosthetics and some like skin painting and stuff mm-hmm. so you realize like he's humanoid shaped but he does have like different skin textures yeah, and stuff. right and i've in certain science fiction things i've heard reasons like well if there's only one type of form of sentient beings that can form from evolution yeah. in any certain circumstances and that form is the humanoid form and then there's just variations based on the environment you're from and that's always a good you know explanation to explain away why everybody looks humanoid yeah so 
I mean, uh, they eventually get the Klingon back. There's some like action sequences and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but they get the Klingon back. They sort of earn the faith of T'Pol. Like she sort of comes around and says like, like, hey, I agree with what you're doing. And, right. And she was like acting that. as captain and then she ended up going with like archers, like exactly. what he was going to do. She had an opportunity to call it quits and right. head back home and she didn't. She she kept going with right. Archer's plan. And uh, they return the Klingon to Kronos, the Klingon High Command, whatever mm-hmm. they're called, and uh, basically make nice nice. And that's kind of how the episode wraps up. But the question becomes like, hey, this was sort of like a test mission, like to launch the Enterprise right, with this right. crew. Uh, what do we do? Are we going home? Archer says like, no, we've they've decided to continue the mission, but we have to go back to San, San Francisco to drop to Paul off. And she's like, with your permission, I'd like to stay on board. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of the big character yeah. arc for me. There, there's some other characters, too, like the Ensign, who grew up on ships. And there's the that, boomer. Co- that cool scene where he's like just hanging from the ceiling. Yeah, I love that. Scene. I like stuff like that. And then the like the translator girl. Mm-hmm. I forgot. Her name. Yeah, there was some cool stuff with that about like um they don't really have the universal translator dialed right. in. And right. And then she said, I think it was to, to Paul saying, like, I thought that English was required on here because, like, she's not speaking in her native tongue. Sato right. swears yeah. at to Paul in Vulcan. Yeah. And she's like, I was instructed to speak English. I would appreciate it if you did yeah. the same. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah, that was a pretty cool line. Um, we did gloss over one major thing. Okay. The theme song in oh, Jimmy. Love yeah. it. Get your trigger finger ready, because what in the ever-loving fuck was that? It's amazing. <laughs> it was so bad. Dude, oh, when so that good. happened, I was like, is this why Star Trek people don't like Enterprise? <laughs> it's very early 2000s. Oh, my. It's, late 90s. it's the worst thing I've ever heard it's in my like life. It's actually, like, the only Star Trek series that uses, like, a pop song. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, Man, I mean, it's not great, Bob. So when I watched the first... <laughs> When I watched this series originally, I was watching them on DVD from Netflix, mailed to my door. And you just hit skip intro every single time? That was not an option. Oh, yes. You had to watch it. You had to. Or you could try to fast fast forward. forward. But I was lazy. I was laying on my couch in very deep depression in a basement apartment. (laughs) So I just let them play. smelled like mold. Yeah. I just let them play. And now... I've got faith <laughs> of the heart. Dude, that is the ultimate earworm. After watching I was, that, I was hoping maybe it's just in the pilot or the first oh episode, no. but I'm sure it's just throughout the series. Uh-uh. They didn't change that, really. It's been a Nobody long complained road about that. Getting from <laughs> there to here. 2001, there was still a very heavy internet presence of people complaining online. Oh, well. I'm oh. so glad it lasted, though. I love it. It's so cheesy and schlocky. <laughs> oh, it's so bad. I've got Very faith. Faith of the heart. <laughs> it's like a full house sequel series. That's what it reminds me of. Those like sitcoms. Yeah. What uh, happened to the USS Enterprise? <laughs> <laughs> like it. So, uh, Jeff, you have any overall thoughts? Mm, overall, it was kind of what I expected it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to keep this segment short cause that interview was, uh, quite long, which was a great interview, but, um, I think that's all I'm going to say for now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Jimmy final pushes. Um, I mean, you do kind of get like what this series is just from this first episode. Um, it, it really is kind of representative, I would say of the entire series. So take with that what you will. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, this is sort of a great combination of a villain of the week episode, but also laying the groundwork for a big overarching plot. Right. Um, I also like I'm we did move pretty quickly, but you hit on um forget what his name is, the ensign who grew up as a boomer growing Travis. up. Travis. Travis Mayweather, I think. Um and Ensign Sato, uh Trip Tucker, all these characters we get very little hints at their backstories, you know, their motivations. Right. They all get fleshed out storylines. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of episodes of this series that don't necessarily focus on like uh, Archer and T'Pol and, and like give a lot of room and time to some of these le- like smaller characters. So I think if you're talked into it, you're going to get a lot of different facets of this this crew and a lot of cool different. So other than the character arcs. What is the point of this series? Are they just exploring like this is when the Enterprise first starts? I think the cool thing about this series is that it is sort of like the beginning of like what you know of Star Trek. So it gives you a lot of origins. I mean, we literally see first contact with Klingons. Jimmy, are you talking me into this too? Yeah. Oh, I thought Dan was talking both of us no, into it. I've seen this before. Jimmy oh. likes it. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, you do see like first contact with Klingons. You do see like obviously in the in this episode too, they're like afraid to use transporters because that hasn't been tested on people. Right. I did like, like that part. Yeah. I mean, it, it's cool because it is like it's sort of like the original series, but like <laughs> obviously with more drop. I kind of combine it with like the original series and next generation of of like you do get like more of the interpersonal stories of like the next generation, but you do have like some of the like discovery aspects of the first series. Right. And like it's more stripped down because it's obviously it takes place a hundred years before the original series. And I just think it's cool that it, it's like the origins of what you know of Star Trek. I agree. And it also combines elements of more modern Star Trek storytelling with the long run yep. stuff. So the temporal cold war is something they're going to be dealing with the fallout of for a while. Um, as we referenced, there's also a lot of allegories with the war on terror. So there's some big surprising, shocking set pieces and events that happen that change the course right. of the show. Um, also, Oh, I forgot my train of thought. Damn it. It was good too. <laughs> so Jeff, my final push is yeah. get to know more of these characters, get, uh, dig into these like longer running plot lines, but also have fun of mixed in like villain of the week type stuff. And as Jimmy alluded to more sexiness. <laughs> yeah. The sexiness is a big selling point. Cause I'm all about sexiness. Yeah. So Jeff. Yeah. Were Dan and I able to talk you into star Trek enterprise. No, but Dr. Flox was. Oh. Oh. So are you only going to watch the Flox scenes? Yeah, I'm only going to watch the Flox <laughs> cut. <laughs> no, it was good. Release the Flox cut. It was it was better than I thought. My expectations were very low because, you know, prior to like Paramount Plus just pushing out 800 Star Trek shows right. before the J.J. Abrams movie. Star Trek fandom did not like this show as much as the other shows. Like, of the five shows in the movies, this was usually on the bottom of the totem pole. From what I've seen of the other shows, which is very minimal, of, like, Voyager and Deep Space Nine, I think this is better than those. I would... Of those first five, I would place this, like, two or three, maybe. Well, it's funny, because a lot of people complain that this didn't feel like Star Trek. I think it does. But now that you watch the newer stuff, which, again, I, I enjoy Discovery and stuff like that, but this feels more like Star Trek than those do. Oh, yeah. I disagree with the people that say the new stuff doesn't feel like Star Trek, and next episode, or actually the previous 
an episode we've talked about strange new worlds i don't yeah. know which episode it's coming out and i think that feels very star trekky yeah uh, more so than mm. picard maybe um but yeah no I, I liked it it was good cool yeah jeff yeah do we know what we're talking about next yes time? this I, this i have a clue for <laughs> Oh, Dan. Sorry. Next week, we're we're going to be talking about Star Trek that happens after the original series for the first time. Um, lower Decks. Yeah. Yeah. Is that anything like an Upper Decker? It is not anything closely related to an Upper Decker. Um, Jimmy, I don't know if you have somebody that's nope. going to be talking to. Okay. No. Nope. It's just us. Didn't happen. Yep. It's just, just us. us. Cool. Just us talking about Lower Decks. Yep. So we haven't recorded any of that yet. Yeah, yeah. So that'll be that'll be fresh. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta be fresh. In the meantime, Dan, where can people find you online? Well, Dropping first, Jeff, yeah, you could find the podcast, yeah, on social media at Talk Me Into at Talk Me Into Pod. On that's Instagram. great, but I asked where can people find you. Uh, that's I'm not sticking, how we do I'm it. I'm sticking to it. Where can people find you, Dad? You can find me on this podcast. <laughs> and you can find this podcast where? Yeah, talkmeinto.com, patreon.com slash talkmeinto. Yes. Uh, email us with any questions, anything like that, talkmeinto at gmail.com. Personally, you can find me at Danny underscore breakdown on Twitter. Uh, check out my band Disqualifier wherever yeah, you listen to music. Yeah, yeah, Jimmy, yeah, how about you? You can find me at Danny underscore breakdown on yeah, Twitter. Yeah, how can do his account? Check out my band Disqualifier yeah, on Spotify. Kick him Jeff, out of the band and join find you. People could find me on Twitter at Danny underscore breakdown and check out my band Disqualifier. Or you could find Jimmy at... Uh, a-S-O-N-N-A-V-A <laughs> A son of a bitch H-I-L-M-N-O-P Son of a bitch And you could find me at J-E-F-F-F-F-27 Jeff of 5 is the number 27 And, 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 and Check out Soda Discussions It's the show that we actually like doing It's on YouTube Dan and I drink sodas Jimmy edits it very, very well and it's a it's a fun fun check it out new episodes every thursday and thank you for listening to talk me into what will we talk you into next more star trek it's been a long road (laughs) doing the whole theme song just to let you know keep going getting from Mm. there to here it's been a long time but my time is finally near And I will see my dreams come alive again. I will touch the sky. No, I'm not going to hold me down no more. No, I'm not going to change my mind. Because I've got faith of the heart. Knowing where my heart will take me. I've got faith of the heart. I can be anything, I've got faith of the heart. No heart can take me, I can reach any height. Oh, bad note. Cause I've got faith, faith, I've got faith, faith, faith of the heart. One more time. One more time. One more time. It's been a long... No, I'm just kidding. You might be able to hear in the background strange sounds. That is my cat, who, if I locked him out of the room, he would scratch to get in.
Now yeah. that he's in the room, he's scratching at the closet door. Hold on a second. Let me rebuke him. Hey, 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 come here. Stop that. Stop that. Stop that. You can't get in there. Um, That's perfectly fine. I've got a, a eight pound chihuahua that likes to scratch at the door occasionally. So, yeah, he for some reason, we have a mirrored closet and he, he for some reason is convinced that there's some something inside there. <laughs> been, you've been you've been living here for a long time. There's never anything inside that closet. Look, I'm going to open the door for you. There you go. There you go. Knock yourself out. Oh, I was no, thinking about the, the other guy that looks exactly like him. Yeah, he deserves to be canceled. Yeah. Ezra Miller. Yeah. Oh. He's been arrested twice for beating up women and not cool. even like their girlfriend, like just random women in public places. Cool. That's the flash, right? Bars, yeah. Did you see the news? I knew this was going to fucking happen. Mm-mm. Discovery is in the process of buying warner brothers oh so now they're like oh let's reboot everything yep, yep, yeah yeah and they said they weren't gonna and literally yeah. friday the deal went through friday morning. they were like dc comics sucks yeah they <laughs> bought warner brothers and the whole time see i've been talking to paul at infinite heroes about that because he yeah. used to work at dc he knows people there right and he's like i told him i'm like they're gonna fucking reboot that entire film universe i mean they were going yeah. to anyways but after flashpoint well but certain things. See, the problem is a couple movies have been successful for them. Right. It would have been better if they all were shit, like Batman right. versus Superman and Justice League. Well, I mean, even the good ones, it doesn't matter if they're a shared universe. Right. But now they have a mess because good. they've got movies that made money that people like, right. but they're all disjointed, and that's not what they want. So Discovery was like, "No, no, we're gonna keep uh, the film projects going." They signed the contract, and then it fucking leaked that they're in the process of hiring an overall producer, a Kevin Feige, <laughs> right, to reboot the entire. They have universe. to. It. I mean, it's gonna suck in the short term, but in the long term, if you want success, right, you have, you to. have to. Yeah, no, I'm I'm 100 down with that because Batman's. Or I mean, other than like this solo stuff, like Batman was great. Yeah. Um, but yeah. But even so, like we're nerds and we're comic book fans. There, you're supposed to know this. Like, I didn't hear this until after I saw the movie that the Batman is supposed to take place on Earth Five, which is a different Earth from everything else. Oh, I just assumed that. I just assumed it was its own thing, yeah. and I haven't even seen it. Well, I assumed it's its own thing too. But DC was like officially releasing like this takes place on Earth Five, and we may do future projects on Earth Five. Okay. Did they just come up with the name Earth Five, no, saying it's in that the comics? Oh, yeah. Who cares? Yeah. All right, Dan, start this shit. Ooh. It's like you hear the click. Dan like, said death of a salesman. That was the joke. <laughs> all right, Dan. The joke is that I'm dying. But we all are. We all are. <coughs> oh, let me just pull up the uh, wiki so I have like years and stuff. Stardate! The year 2005. 69! The year 3000! In the year 3000! Ooh, I like that chord. It was like a diminished second <laughs> yeah. or something. I liked it. It's all the rage. I see this guy every time we record. The guy with a stick? No. The, That's his dad. I see that guy, too. This guy over here, he's always got a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. His, his cap is always on, wacky. Oh, he just lives there. Yeah, but I see him every time we're here. Um, <laughs> Jack, am I, check, check. My volume's a lot lower. My volume. You have an independent dance. volume? You no, might, I mean, like... Oh. I can hear you, 
Really? But I'm just quieter than you are. That might be, might be your headphones. I think the opposite. I think you're louder in my headphones. Wow. Yeah, you're pretty loud. Yeah. Okay. It's probably oh, just those headphones know. or something. Yeah. Jimmy's the loudest to me. Yeah, I am. Uh, oh. Uh, oh, let me just pull up the characters' names because I don't remember. To Paul. Uh, I remember Archer. that. Archer. I remember that. Flock. Billingsley. Mayweather. I don't remember that. <laughs> There's white guy and black guy. Oh, boy. Yeah. I'm not wrong. There's white southern guy and white British guy. Yeah. Oh, there was a British guy? Mm. Yeah. The the guy who's a big war hawk. That I have no clue for. He's like the engineer, isn't he? He's a uh, chief of security. Oh, he's the one right. who's like worried about the guns all the time. Right. As the series progresses, he's like, we need photon torpedoes. <gasps> oh, yeah, that guy. Oh, those are my fun facts. We don't need those. Not yet. Connor. My name's Connor. <clears throat> All right, Dan, why don't you bring us back since you did the interview? I'm trying to think. Holy of shit. <laughs> wow. I was going to do something dumb and funny, but I want to actually acknowledge 170 episodes and he has no idea what to do. Jim, you're going to have to mark this because I actually do want to say <laughs> just something keep here. it in. I already marked it. Don't keep this in. <laughs> this is awful. <laughs> no, I really did want to make a good point. Now it was on the tip of my tongue. Shit. And it's gone. It's gone forever. Just move on.org. Okay, Dan. This has never happened in the history of the show before. <laughs> Just waiting for on, five minutes of silence. I, I really did think of a good point that I wanted to talk Not to good about. enough, apparently. I don't even remember what we were talking Neither about. Neither do I. It's already gone. It's the final push.